to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. I am really grateful to have back on our show today, Richard Capriola, because I've had many parents over the last few months ask me so many questions about social media, its impact on kids, how much should they be on it, what is it doing to them? What are the repercussions of it? And so I love that Rick is here with me today to really share more about that and hopefully give you listening some answers to how to manage social media for your kids and more about it that might be something you know or you don't know um, about what's taking place on those social media platforms. So just as a, a brief reminder for those of you who are new listening, Richard Capriola is a mental health and addictions counselor and has been for over two decades. In 2020, he published The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse and a Workbook. Uh, Rick, welcome back to Momnificent. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm excited to talk about this issue of social media and, te and, and teens and perhaps uh, uh, share some information and some tips that parents will find uh, helpful and useful. Yeah, so let's just drop dive right in. So parents I hear often struggle with the question, what is age appropriate for my child on social media? Um, and I, I think you had mentioned that you know something, a few things that you want to share what the cyber experts are even saying and recommending to parents. Yeah, um, you know, when we survey um, cyber experts, so-called cyber experts, and we ask them, what age is it, is it appropriate for adolescents, teenagers to be engaged with social media apps? And it seems that the prevailing uh, opinion is that for most apps like Facebook and, and Instagram and TikTok, things like that, uh, it, it usually is around age 13. That seems to be the consensus where age 13 is the earliest age that they would recommend a child be introduced uh, to, to some of those apps. Now, it's interesting because when it came to Snapchat, the opinion changed. Um, the, the cyber experts recommended that the minimum age for Snapchat be 16. Um, and I think that's because they saw it as being maybe a little bit more risky. But overall, uh, age 13 uh, seems to be the consensus at, as the earliest age uh, for a teenager to start getting on um, social apps. Now, they did they did mention that every parent sort of has to assess uh, what age they feel is appropriate because every child is different. Some seem to be a little bit more mature. Some seem to be able to be ready. Uh, but as a general rule, I would look at age 13 as perhaps being the first opportunity to introduce the child to, uh, uh, to apps like Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Yeah, so maybe trying to hold off as long as they can, because I'm sure the peer pressure of your child's friends can influence it, because if they're on those social media platforms, then your child wants to be, and then I'm sure it's like a holding off as long as you can, 
because um, when you said 13, I was like, oh, wow, I, you know, I would think it would try to be uh, an older age where they're, they're, they have that more maturity to handle some of those. But, but if you have that peer pressure, like kids, kids, that, that, that's hard when your kid's constantly asking you like, come on, please, can I, my friend's doing it, can I do it? And then it just seems so common that you kind of put aside what, you know, in a, in a quiet moment, if you really would have asked yourself what age you would do it, might not be, probably wouldn't be 13. Um, yeah, so I think I think what you want to do is, uh, and you're absolutely right. The child may be responding to uh, peer pressure. Uh, their friends are using apps. They're encouraged to join their friends, so it becomes more difficult for the parent to to maybe say no. So as you introduce your child to, to apps, I think what you want to do is first of all understand for yourself what the app is used for. You know, do you know what the app is? Do you know what it's used for that your child wants to get introduced to and begin using? Um, ask your child and find out how do you plan to use it? You know, what, what, what are you going to use it for? And what sort of things do you want to post? These are, these are questions and answers that you should get from your child. You know, do you know what it's for? How do you plan to use it? And what sort of things will you, will you be posting on there? What will, you, what will you be doing on the app? So there's just some, some basic questions that parents should inquire uh, before uh, saying, okay, it's okay for you to use this app. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I appreciate you, you saying that. And so how extensively are teens using social media, which is probably going to be an alarming um, answer, right? Look at you're already laughing. <laughs> and which and and which social media apps do they tend to favor? It, it is alarming. Um, you know, uh, Instagram, for example, which is owned by Facebook, 22 million teens are on Instagram. Facebook, not so much. Only about 5 million teens use Facebook. But the one that they really prefer, the one that they really latch onto is TikTok. It's the most popular. It's more popular than Instagram. 100 million users of TikTok in the United States. 689 million worldwide. The average time that, uh, that a person, uh, a teenager is on TikTok uh, averages 80 minutes a day. So TikTok by far is becoming the, the, the predominant app that teenagers are using. 67%, 70% of them use it on a weekly basis. But, but when you look at Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, TikTok overwhelmingly is the ones that they, that they prefer. They like posting videos. They like posting songs. They like all of the things that, that they can post on, uh, on TikTok. Um, if you're not familiar with it as a parent, you should, uh, you should join up and you should look and see for yourself all of the different things that are on TikTok. So I have to admit that I was looking through TikTok. I don't do it often, but the one time I was... It made me laugh out loud. It was like watching a reality show. The funniest things that people were doing, like to me, my my observation of it is it's crazy, silly things. And I know that's not everything because a lot of people use it for marketing or you know sharing what they you know are doing and trying to sell. But um, and then you want to hear something crazy? Just this week, I saw a five year old talking about being on TikTok or their parent watching TikTok, and just the fact that a five year old mentioned it, I was like, what? Oh my gosh. How do these kids, and at such a young age, I'm like, that's not right. Um, 
So what are that you call it the TikTok ticks? Okay, that's the first I've heard of that. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, let me let me mention one other thing uh, about these apps because there are some that parents should be aware of that their children should be avoiding. They should not be using. One is called IMVU, I-M-V-U, and that is a role-playing type of act, oftentimes involving sexual uh, uh, issues or bullying issues. So I-M-V-U is one that they should avoid. Another one is Chatspin. Chatspin is a webcam app. Um, another one is Kick, K-I-K, which seems to involve, uh, you know, it's, it's a messaging app. And then there's Tumblr, uh, which is a, a blogging site that sort of leans towards things like depression and anxiety and drug use and self-harm. So those are a few that I would recommend that uh, kids, uh, parents uh, make sure their kids are not using. The TikTok Tourette's is an interesting issue that has come up uh, during the pandemic. Before the pandemic, roughly one to five percent, we were seeing one to five percent of kids showing this TikTok Tourette's from being on TikTok. That's where it gets its name. But now it tends to run 20 to 35 percent. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the pandemic. It involves the behaviors that include uh, explosive type verbal utterings, involuntary muscle contractions, and twitching. Symptoms that are associated with Tourette's. But this is not really Tourette's. It's it's more of a, a symptoms that are mimicking Tourette's. Uh, it seems to come from uh, perhaps uh, being being exposed and using TikTok and everything that's, that, that can be uh, involved with seeing TikTok. But how did they, how, how does that happen? Did they say? No, they really didn't say. Uh, you know, they think a lot of it is, is related to the pandemic. A lot of it is related to kids spending enormous amounts of time on TikTok. And then perhaps some of these symptoms might have already been there. And perhaps uh, the exposure to social media increased it. Uh, I don't think they're really aware of all of the factors that came into play. That's crazy. So what what do they recommend if if you are kind of making that correlation and you see that in your child or I mean I, I would follow up and get an assessment done to see see what the real problem is. Um, you know, Tourette's, um, this may not be actual diagnosed as Tourette's. Uh, Tourette's is, is generally, I think, found uh, in, in adolescents and pre-adolescent ages. Uh, but it also might be uh, exposure to uh, excessive uh, exposure to social media. So if you're concerned as a parent, the best thing to do is to get some professional assessments and some advice. And when when everything closed down, right, when the pandemic started, um, it's amazing how much more time people had in accessing the social media because that was, people weren't going anywhere. We weren't going out. We were home. And it's just, it's amazing the time on our hands that was that perfect opportunity for just it, the, the, the views to grow on those platforms. Mm -hmm. Yes, kids were isolated. Was, yeah, that was the only way they were communicating in some some form that they weren't getting within the school environment. And we know Zoom is not the same as, you know, connecting, even though people were trying to use it in a way to keep connected. Um, and then you create that habit and it's hard to pull off that habit. I mean, that's that's a whole other uh, 
you know, an issue. Because then if you're di- not addicted, you could say addicted. People might not admit addicted to TikTok, right, for example. But if you are so used to it that it's a habit for you, we all know how hard it takes to break a habit. And now if there's these ticks involved on something that you are used to and enjoy and like doing, that's got to be extremely difficult to pull pull off of to, to just take care of yourself and, and help yourself, you know. Yes, it, it, it truly does become compulsive. You know, it, it becomes wow. a compulsive behavior. And, 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 and kids are like adults. Uh, they lose track of time. You know, they get involved in these social apps and pretty soon, uh, you know, time escapes and they're spending extreme amounts of time on, on you know, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, it, it really does become compulsive and consuming. Yeah. And I mean, along with just just online social media, that the, the platforms, it's amazing to me how many kids I'll ask, like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the most common thing I hear is is to be a YouTuber and to create video games like that is like the number two things I hear over and over. It used to be like a veterinarian or something like that. Usually that was my girls in fifth grade or fourth grade. Um, but but yeah, just the whole appeal of it, too. Um, it's just, it's all, it's all virtual. It's, it's all, you know, online and it's like their new normal, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it, it is, ours. it is. And it's interesting because the research that was done by Facebook showed that teenagers know, they understand that these apps are addictive and they have a desire, a desire to spend less time on the apps, but they also say that they admit that they don't have enough self-control to change their scrolling behavior. So they know that that these that these apps that they're on are consuming an awful amount, a lot, a lot of their time. They wish they could cut back on it, but they they admit. I don't have the self-control to be able to do it. I just, I just can't pull away from it. And that's one of the interesting things that I think we learned about uh, teenagers in, in their use of these apps. As well as I'll say video games, because you can't get a kid. Kids get addicted to the video games. And then what, what aren't they doing? Their homework, resting, being ready for school, having their, their, their work done uh, because it's this, this, you know, then it's in, in them. They're like, I have to play. I want to play. It's all I want to do. Yeah. The, the Facebook research that was disclosed also showed a number of interesting um, aspects to kids using social media. Um, 60% of girls and 40% of boys experience negative social comparison. 60% of girls and 40% of boys, negative social comparison, comparing themselves to others. Yeah. 37% of girls feel pressured to look perfect in their posts. They feel pressured to look perfect. About a third of girls say that the content that they see makes them feel worse about themselves. So what they're seeing, a third of the girls say, it makes them feel worse about themselves. 50%, half of the users report feeling unattractive and said the feelings began on Instagram. They feel unattractive. And 14% of boys said Instagram made them feel worse about themselves. 
So for teenagers who are already struggling with some type of mental health issue, um, social media may make those feelings worse. And I think that this is particularly important for girls who get their self-image. Boys do too, but girls, I think, really respond to what's going on with social media. And they compare themselves to uh, what other girls look like in social media. And they may not always understand that the images that they're seeing on social media are not necessarily accurate. People make themselves up to be very beautiful or very handsome. And then girls and boys compare themselves to that. And then they get feedback. So when they post something, maybe they put a picture of themselves, maybe they put something on and they get feedback and it's negative feedback that can be very, very damaging to their self-image and, and to how they feel about themselves. And I think a lot of what, what is going on is so many teenagers are building their self-esteem and building their self-image around what they see on social media and the type of reactions that they're getting on social media. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and I had interviewed uh, two seniors high school seniors about a year ago, and they shared with me that when they wake up in the morning, that is the first thing they look at is their social media feed. Like the, it's like this, like trigger. It's, it's, it's a habit. It's, it's, it's a go-to. It's like, it's not even a second thought anymore. Who said what, who, who's, who posted what, who, what, what, what you know, where, where am I in all of this? And, and yeah. And how, and how many oh. parents do the same thing? How many parents, the first thing they do in the morning when they wake up is reach for their phone. Maybe they're checking their email. Maybe they're checking an app. Maybe they're, uh, you know, checking to see if they got any messages. So, you know, parents, parents are, are modeling the same behavior in a, in a way uh, because the first thing they do in the morning is reach for their phone. Yeah. So what are some risks associated with social media, mental health and otherwise? I think the risk is number one, um, compulsive behavior. Uh, you know, being being tied to social media, at the sacrifice of of, of developing other healthy activities, person-to-person uh, -person communication, extracurricular activities for kids, making sure that your, your schoolwork is done, that you're doing your homework, you're doing your assignments, um, that you're not sacrificing family time uh, because you're spending all your time on the phone. Uh, so, you know, this, this, this has the ability and the power to pull kids away from their families, from their friends, at least interaction, personal interaction with friends, and, and become compulsive and time-consuming. And you can get a group of teenagers in a room, Rick, and they're not even talking, but they're texting each other in the room. Yes, isn't that crazy? Oh, I was like, what is this? Yeah, rather than talk, oh my text. Gosh, they're right there. Why are you even together? Yeah. But we know the benefits of, of being in person, interactive, reading social cues, reading emotions. And then you they have this, this draw that draws them into the social media world where then all of a sudden, once you do go back to reality face-to-face, in-person, um, life has its boring moments and they can't handle them because they're so 
uh, emotionally, you know, fed on such a charge social on the social media site that actually in person, like they can't even handle it because it's so dull and because it can be boring and because moments in life are just part of that. And we all know that. Yeah. So I think then they don't even know how to act. And then there creates even more of that, um, you know, negative thoughts or depression because gosh, then you open your eyes to the world around you physically. And you're like this, I don't like this because the social media world looks so much better. But then if you are negatively impact on social media, like you just explained those, those statistics, it's like you're, you're actually getting hit in both dimensions, realities in a sense. Anyway. Wow. So what things should we as parents be doing to keep our kids safe on social media? I know there's things like Bark and other uh, platforms that help a parent kind of watch and monitor. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, um, Mayo Clinic uh, had some, I think, good insights and recommendations for for parents. And uh, one of them was to set reasonable limits. Talk about how to avoid social media interfering with activities like sleep and meals and homework. Encourage uh, your child to have a regular bedtime sleep routine and keep cell phones and, and tablets out of teens' bedrooms. How many times do you find a parent who on a social media site you know, complains that their child is up until 11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and they go into their bedroom and they find that they're on social media. Um, so I think you want to, as a parent, set reasonable limits, um, make sure that these are, uh, social media activities are not interfering with their extracurricular activities, with their sleep, with their meals, with their homework, with their academic performance. Um, A second recommendation was monitor your teen's accounts. Let your teen know that you will regularly be checking on their accounts and make sure that you follow through. Um, You know, so many parents sort of just let their teens go into social media and they don't follow up. They don't check to see what apps are they using? How often are they on the phone? How long are they on the phone? And things like that. So monitor your teen's accounts. Third, explain what's not okay. You know, have a discussion with your child. Discourage gossiping. Discourage any spreading of rumors. Discourage any type of bullying or damaging someone's reputation. Talk to your child about what's appropriate and safe on social media. Third, another one is encourage your child to have face-to-face contact with their friends. Uh, especially teens that are vulnerable to social anxiety, because they will be the ones who tend to really prefer to use social media because they have social anxiety. Uh, But encourage your child to engage with their friends, you know, other than social media, have face-to-face contact with your friends. And then talk about social media, talk about their habits, ask how your teen is using social media and how it makes them feel. Remind them that social media can often be filled with unrealistic images and let them know that what they may be hearing, what they may be seeing on social media may not be an accurate picture of reality. And then finally, use parental controls. Uh, many phones, many, uh, many phone internet providers allow you to set 
parental controls and you can do that you can control the time that your child is on social media you can shut down their internet access after say 10 11 12 o'clock whatever you feel is appropriate but but talk to your uh, providers about what type of parental controls are available to you and then use the parental controls that you feel are appropriate based upon your child's age based upon what you know they're doing and and their behavior so those are some of the tips that came from uh, Mayo Clinic hey there it's Karn I hope that you're enjoying the show And by the way, if you're a mom who wants to learn how to help your child when they're struggling behaviorally or facing challenges in school, get started today by getting my free short video course, Three Steps to Happy Healthy Kids at www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in learning how to have a happy, healthy life with your kids. So head on over to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video and grab your free gift today. That's really, really good. And I like how you said, like, make make a pact with your family that you're not going to use tech when you're eating dinner, for example. We are eating together, like the tech is not there. And it's, it's alarming to me when I go out to a restaurant and I see a family of four sitting there all on their phones. And I'm like... You're out to dinner, like talk to each other, put that away. Like it's amazing how common it's become. And when, when you're not like around it as much and then you see it, it's like, seriously? Yeah. And and kids take their cues from their parents. So the other thing I would say to parents is monitor your own time on social media. If kids see you on social media and you're on there a lot or all the time, they're going to think that's okay. So if you're at the dinner table and you're texting and watching apps, kids wonder, well, why can't I do that? Mm -hmm. If you're spending your entire evening or a large part of your evening tied to your cell phone, doing apps, doing whatever you're doing, kids see that. And they begin to see that that's pretty acceptable behavior. And and it's hard for a parent to say, well, it's okay for me to be on my app all evening, but you can't be. So be mindful of how much time you as a parent are spending on these social apps or even on your phone doing texting or or whatever you're doing, because kids kids pay attention. They, They see the amount of time that you're on your phone too, and they take their cues from that. They really do. We are our number one role model for our kids. And even if you say don't, but you're the one doing, they're going to follow what you do despite what you say that may be the opposite. So it is so important to just be self-reflective and, and, and check in with ourselves to see where and how often and how much and think of it through that lens of my child is seeing this and this is what's telling them is okay, is right, is you know allowed, is okay. Yeah, so that's a really, really good point that you brought out. Wow, thank you so much, Rick. So what about having a fake account just to like spy on your child or see what they're doing? What's your thought on that? 
Uh, I think you want to be honest with your child. I think you want to be upfront with them. I don't think you want to go behind their backs to, to see what they're doing. I do think you want to make it very clear to them that um, you are going to be checking on their accounts, that you are going to be monitoring the time that they're spending on social app uh, apps, uh, that you're going to pay attention to what apps they're using, and that from time to time, you may be having uh, a, a discussion. You may be checking in with them about how social media is, is working for them. How's it affecting them? What are they doing? Um, uh, you you, you want to build up trust with your child so that they feel comfortable talking to you about what they're doing. Now, they're not going to tell you everything they're doing on a social app. Uh, and, and you're probably not going to want to know everything that they're doing. You want to make sure that the time that they're spending is appropriate, that the sites that they're on are appropriate. And you want to know how it's affecting them. You want to know if there's something going on in an app that might be upsetting them. You want to be able to hopefully set the groundwork so that they feel comfortable talking to you about the things that, that they observe on social media or the things that, that might be bothering them. Uh, but as a parent, I think your role is to monitor, to check in, to set appropriate controls and rules, and then follow through with them. I like that. I think that that feels right to just to be open and honest with them. Like, hey, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be tracking. I'm going to be checking in. I want you to be safe. We don't want to be surprised if something were to happen and something were to be said or you to see something and then, you know, have such a difficult time with it and us not be there to even support you. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to approach it. I like that. I really like that a lot. And I I always tell um, teachers that it's so easy to write something in an email. It's, it's easy for people just to type something. But then if you actually pick up the phone or you talk to them, they are less likely to tell you what they actually took so easily to write, to type. It's a very, you know, unique um, um, thing there because sometimes people can write things and it can feel like they're yelling at you. And then when you confront them about them, they're like, oh, that's not what I meant at all. Yeah. But how often is is that so easily misconstrued? And yet, if you think of all of the texting and the the chats and the you know things that kids say, because once once sometimes we've had like fourth or fifth graders see something on Snapchat that someone said about someone, and then their feelings were hurt, and now you're dealing with it at school, you know. Um, and when you go back to being like, you know, when you wrote that here, and I have the student tell the other student, how did that make you feel? And then they're like. Oh, because it's so much easier to say it. But then when you put it out in the open and you're talking to each other face to face and putting in there what what that made them feel and, and what that made them think, um, it it really is eye opening because they, they they then realize how hurtful it was what they said that in that instant it was just a thought and you just type it and send and it's gone and you move right on. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, in, in texting, you know, that's a form of communication where you miss so much of the, of the interpersonal communication. You miss, you miss the, uh, the, the communication features that we see when we're actually talking to somebody. We miss the tone of their voice. We miss their facial expression. We miss the, you know, the, that part of the communication process that gives us information is how, how they're receiving the message and how they're reacting to it. You don't know that when you send a text message. Yeah, and uh, and it, may be, it may be interpreted completely different than what you intended it to be, but, but you don't know that because you, 
you don't have the opportunity to assess their 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 physical reaction to what you've said yeah yeah because there's so many times when i receive an email from a parent and it's like whoo a little little bit emotionally charged or that's how i'm reading it and taking it right and then when I, but when i pick up the phone and i talk to them Nine times out of ten, it is it is not as bad as how I was receiving it. Yeah, there you go. That's it a great is example. So powerful, and I'm constantly anyway. I know I'm like digressing just for a second here, but it's 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 it, yeah. And it's you know what's crazy, Rick? I I had a parent email me once, and I picked up the phone and called them, and you know what they said? I can't believe you called me. <laughs> and I was like, what? Nobody calls you anymore, or what? Why is that a surprise? You know, and it was like, wow, yeah, people are just so used to, you know, emailing back and forth that to actually talk to someone on the phone is like, and then usually even when, when I talk to, to people normally and I will, I will call them back to talk about anything that they've, you know, sent me an email about, they're so grateful. And you'll even hear it like trickle down through other people like, wow, the principal called me and actually talked to me through that X, Y, and Z. Like, I, I think we forget. And I just want to encourage, you know, you listening, like pick up the phone and call. If, if something came across like not so great, um, I challenge you to to actually have the conversation, you know, over the phone or in person with them to just see like, hey, what's up with that? And wow, it's amazing how I think you can like figure things out and they might not be as upsetting or stressful or intense or emotionally charged. Exactly. You you might you might interpret the message completely different when it is expressed to you verbally as opposed to nonverbally because nonverbal communication misses so many cues facial tone even the tone of our voice is missing when we type up that email uh, and what may come across as being perhaps angry is is not really intended to be angry or meant to be angry but you don't know that until you actually hear the voice of the person and you find out that the way you interpreted that written communication was not quite right. Well, Rick, again, thank you so much for your insights, the research, the the, the recommendations that you've left our listeners with today. Um, and how can someone find and follow you if they want to learn more and follow you and, and look up your book even? Thank you, Karen. Um, I would recommend that people go to the book's website, which is helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com. There's a link uh, where they can send me a message or send me a comment. It'll come directly to my email. And if they would like to learn more about adolescent substance abuse, feel better prepared, more empowered, uh, there's a link that will take them to the Amazon uh, where they can uh, order a copy of my book, Help the Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, which is available as both a Kindle and a paperback. So I would encourage every parent, every teacher, uh, everyone who uh, wants to learn more about adolescent substance abuse uh, to go to the website, helptheaddictedchild.com, and and take a look at the book uh, or the parent workbook and order a copy. Uh, It won't take you long to read. It's only about 100 pages, but hopefully you'll feel uh, more empowered and better informed on this topic. Thank you, Rick. And for those listening, if this is the first time you're hearing Rick on this podcast, this is the third time he's come on. Like he said, if you go back a couple episodes, he did an amazing interview with me on substance abuse for teens, adolescents, and also on mental health for teens and and kids. So um, definitely check those out if if you want to learn more. And again, uh, thank you so much and I appreciate it. And we'll find another topic to have you back. (laughs) 
Okay, great. I'm always willing to come back and chat with you because it seems we always have these great uh, uh, conversations that uh, I, I hope everybody who listens walks away and, uh, and feels as if, uh, you know, their time spent here was valuable and informative. So thank you so much. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.